my name is Marcy Timmerman, Executive Director of Mental Health America of Kentucky. Welcome to the Bell Podcast. I am so pleased to have today's guest, Mike Berry of People Advocating Recovery, um, giving us kind of a great interview before he goes off to retirement. So really excited and proud to have him. And thank you so much for being here, Mike. <laughs> You're welcome. I don't know if I'm going to call it retirement, though. Okay, not retirement. <laughs> Just exiting the leadership role. Yeah, somebody gave me a better word. It's redirection of energy. I love it. That's a really good, yes. And people <laughs> in mental health never actually retire. That's No. <laughs> we stick through it to the end, right? <laughs> well, my understanding is you really came to PAR out of your own recovery journey. Would you mind sharing a little bit of your story and your past with us? No, not at all. As a matter of fact, um, I'm a person in long-term recovery. Which means for me that uh, I haven't had a drink or a drug for close to 28 years now. And I find that absolutely unbelievably hard to believe the time is time has flown so much. Wow. But uh, in a previous lifetime, I, I worked in television. And uh, I really started drinking when I was working in television. And, you know, I don't like the, the term, but it's used often that I was a functioning alcoholic. Mm -hmm. I drank, went to work, did this, paid my bills, but a person who is a real alcoholic can't do that forever. If they're a real alcoholic, it'll catch up with them. And with me, it did. It finally did. Mm -hmm. So um, very simple terms. I I lost my job, uh, ruined a marriage, had to file bankruptcy. And I became homeless and becoming homeless because of that. I ended up from Lexington to Louisville and went to the healing place Mm -hmm. before it was called the healing place (laughs) in January of 92 Mm -hmm. or January of 93. I'm sorry, in January of 93. And they hadn't even changed the name yet. It's called the Father Morgan Center at the time. And it was a soup kitchen and a homeless shelter. And they started a program of recovery shortly after I got there. There are those of us who are in recovery use a textbook, and I am straight out of that textbook. And I worked so hard to make sure that I was different, and I was not. I'm on page after page after page, straight out of the book. Mm-hmm. And it took me a while to understand uh, that I couldn't do this on my own. I kept trying and trying and trying. So to go back a little bit, I didn't drink from 1982 through 1986. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was just because people told me I was about to lose my job. Mm-hmm. And, you know, all those other things. And I, I did stop for mm-hmm. that time period. But I, I was uh, had a chance to go to Europe in 1988, and this is the mental part of the thinking. I had never been to Europe, never been to England, and my first thought was, why would I want to go to England if I can't go to a pub? Why would I want to be in Germany if I can't have uh, Stein? And why would I go to France if I can't have some French wine? Mm-hmm. not a word not nothing in my head thought about gee wouldn't it be wonderful to see all this and all the chances i have but no it was up there 
Mm-hmm. So I started drinking again. Uh, be, the poor me's, as they're called. And uh, then it, once again, same thing. Everything was all right for a couple of years. Then it took off again. And that's uh, that's when things got really got bad. And it took me uh, four years of in and out, in and out. And pretty close to dying. I had locked myself in my apartment. And with the full intent of drinking myself to death. And I got to that point, um, thankfully, that I didn't want to live. I didn't want to die. I didn't want to drink. I didn't want to be sober. So now what? So I went back, to the, <laughs> I went back to the healing place for a third time and said, guys, y'all win. I don't know what I'm doing. Let me uh, just sit here and listen. So as the old saying goes, I just sat down and listened and uh, got sober by a miracle. So that's been quite a long time now. Yeah, definitely. So how did that man at the healing place come to people advocating recovery? How did that happen? I had, uh, I had, I'm going to have an animal come by me here in a second. I can see it coming. I'm glad we're not on camera. Uh, I had two mentors, and I'll mention his name, he doesn't mind, Jay Davidson, and the other um, was Dr. George Perkins, and uh, George was uh, in his, I think in his mid-80s or so, about, about then, and he looked like Colonel Sanders, probably about 5'2", had the goatee, the whole bit. <laughs> And he had this gruff voice, and he was uh, he was in um, in social work, and had quite quite an extensive history. I can't go into right now, but anyway, he said um, he wanted to take me to Frankfurt for a meeting put together up there that people were talking about to do something about advocacy and recovery. And I guess my first response was. What is advocacy? What do you do? You know, I, I'm already talking about my story. So anyway, that um, Karen Haskell, Mike yeah. Townsend mm-hmm. held this big uh, meeting. And I, I guess there are probably 100 people there and um, planted the seed. Wow. About what advocacy was. And I thought, you know what? Maybe so. Then about the same time, I had a friend invite me to a business meeting. I, I went from Lexington to Louisville. I had a friend invite me to a business meeting in Lexington. Now I was about seven years sober. And he didn't know anything about recovery. And in all good sincerity, he told me, we'd really love you to come to this reunion where you have to park and where we're holding our reunion there are two bars on the way and we'll also be serving alcohol. Now I know your story. So we have managed to find two volunteers that will be your chaperone for the night. Oh, of course, my. that was my first reaction. Why? <laughs> what? Why? And so to make a very long story short, I finally understood. He was quite sincere. My question was why didn't he know how to treat me 
And the reason he didn't know is because I had never told him. Right. That's There's so the advocacy. Mm -hmm. I got to tell you, mm -hmm. we do recover. Here's what recovery looks like. And here's what I'm doing today. Right. So we started a small group in Lexington. I mean, Louisville, the Addiction Recovery Advocates of Kentuckyana. With me, George Perkins, Hugh Spaulding, uh, some other people are still around. Yeah. And uh, it, it grew it grew from there to where uh, I talked to some people at the state, and they said, "But you know, how about how about doing something statewide?" So you know, we said, sure, we'll get something started. We'll try. And you know, because we had a big treasury of about ten bucks in there, I think, just <laughs> enough to buy our coffee. Exactly. So we got five of us together, five people, and we said, okay, we'll do this. So we went around the state from city to city, announcing in advance we were going to be there. And we thought, just like Frankfurt, we'll have 100 people show up. <laughs> so we used places like the, um, uh, the libraries, uh, rural electric companies, you know, the conference rooms. Uh-huh. And we'd show the five of us would show up. We take some donuts and make some coffee, bring material, wait for the masses to arrive, and nobody would show up. <laughs> I know that we did that for, I guess almost a year. Oh wow. Nobody ever came. Wow. And then finally, you know, we kind of drifted some apart and some stayed. And then all of a sudden things started to change a little bit. And I'm going to say, I think what really gave birth to PAR was uh, having an issue to work on. And an issue was through Charlotte Wellington and Casey's Law. Cool. When we started working on an issue, uh, we got well-known. And it started helping to show people what advocacy was about and what we could do and from there, that grew into, it's kind of hard to judge how many members we have, but I, I, I'm going to say, I know it's over 5,000, 5,000 wow. members we have now. If you count Facebook, our mailing list, and add all those together, uh, it's about that. So wow. about the same time we were doing Casey's Law, uh, the state was nice enough to realize we had something going. We were there. We were showing up. We were testifying in front of the committees. We we were putting a face and a voice on recovery. And so they started giving us a little bit of funding, enough for me to be an a single employee, enough to you know pay our rent and do things like that. And it grew from there. And about the same time, you know, timing is everything they say. About the same time, there was a national organization called Faces and Voices of Recovery. Well, it didn't even really have a name yet. They were still working on a name. So I met some people at a conference in Chicago where I was presenting about PAR. And they said, that's what we want to do nationwide. Can you help us? So all of a sudden, there I was on the board of Faces and Voices. And became a founding member. 
So I've been with them since, I don't know, 2005. Uh, been on the board, off the board, back on as a new rotation. Uh, served as president and still do a lot of committee work for them. So my life turned from working in television to be an advocate for those in recovery. And, you know, we did, I'll just throw this in here real quick. We did, we did suffer some blowback when we first started because there was this whole thing in 12-step programs about being anonymous. And so, so yeah. today I talk out loud about my recovery to give hope to those that are still suffering in silence. I, I respect all different pathways to recovery, all different programs and all their traditions. But if I'm doing, if I, I the way I answer about being anonymous, it, it's kind of been twisted to where sometimes it doesn't make sense. It, you know, we're told to be anonymous, but to go out and spread the word. Well, you can't do both. They don't work together. Right. That's not a both end we can come for, can yeah. handle, right? Yeah. So I just do, you know, I'm, I'm just very careful that I don't uh, promote or criticize or promote any pathway to recovery. We're open to all pathways. And that makes total sense. MHA has the same viewpoint of, you know, there might be some programs that are better for certain people than others, but we kind of see all these things like dating where you got to find the one that works for you. And sometimes that takes a few tries, right? So. Yeah. Because when I first started, I was under the, I was under the impression there's only one program and only one way. Right. And then I started meeting others and finding out you didn't do it that way. <laughs> then it worked. Then we find and we can celebrate the diverse ways, right? Now that we sure. have more ways nowadays, I think it's, it's yeah, better because the more ways we have to get better, the more people we're going to catch, right? And that that's net of the goal. recovery. Yep. So you mentioned Casey's Law. I'm not sure that we've talked about that on our podcast before. Would you mind kind of explaining a little bit briefly what Casey's Law really is here in Kentucky? Uh, I'll do a very short version. Charlotte Weathington's son. Uh, died of an overdose, and I can't remember how old he was. I've, I've lost track without notes. But he was in, he was in college, and uh, she kept trying to get him help. And because he was an adult, she couldn't really get anything for him. You know, and tried to get him arrested, tried everything she could to break that cycle. And she finally got a judge to issue a court order to get him into treatment. And that court order was delivered the day after his funeral. Yeah, it still, it still breaks me up when I think yeah. about it because I, I don't know, you know, I, my wife and I talk about this. I've learned over the years that the greatest advocates seem to be I don't have any proof of this. Just seem to be mothers who have lost sons seem to be the ones that really get in there. They're mama bears. <laughs> but Charlotte said, we got to do something. And so, you know, it was her dream 
to write a law and in very simple terms it gives family members people who are close it gives them an option to get a judge to commit them to a recovery program and it's voluntary it's in lieu of perhaps going to jail but it still is voluntary and that's you know been some of the criticism that you're taking away somebody's rights you're not you're just giving them a nudge mm-hmm. because somebody who is actively using doesn't really have clear mind they're not capable of really making good decisions for themselves so this gives us an opportunity to get somebody into a recovery program doesn't work for everybody but boy we got a load we got a load of people who have recovered and are so grateful mm-hmm. uh, from us using casey's law and it's spread to other states i had to let charlotte tell you that where it is but i know we have to interview we, charlotte too huh? yeah we have programs <laughs> yeah florida ohio indiana besides kentucky and indiana i think now and i I know it's spread in other places i just don't remember where Mm -hmm. so that was the issue with casey's laws getting help for Mm -hmm. those adults and and oh and i guess the best part is we have um with program called recovery kentucky we have so many recovery centers across our state uh and they're free and that's the usual excuse somebody will come up with you know, because they know about the the uh, how do I say the expensive ones right that are twenty five thousand dollars maybe mm-hmm. for a month okay recovery Kentucky is free for six to nine months oh wow yeah, so that makes a big difference that's cool I don't think I knew about that so thank you for that resource that's awesome. And we'll make sure we put all these links in the in the show notes, folks. So for when you're Recovery Kentucky does have a website. Yep. I have seen it come to think of it. So we'll make and sure we good, put that in the show notes as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And our good friend Mike Townsend is the director of it. Right. And I've met Mike several times. So I and I just got back from um Memphis, Tennessee mm-hmm. at a summit uh talking about some of the things we're talking about here in the summit uh is sponsored or was sponsored by former governor ernie fletcher who started the recovery kentucky program so we all hang together (laughs) that's pretty awesome though well thank you for spreading the word to just not not even just kentucky but to other states that's amazing so there have been a lot of changes in kentucky over your time at par and since your recovery started right to now, um, there's a lot of different options available. Like you said, lots of laws have passed. Lots of things have been done, not just here, but really all over. Right. Um, I was wondering what kind of things make you feel most inspired or hopeful about recovery in Kentucky as we look ahead. What inspires me the most across our state is the fact that we talk about it now. We know that we always need, all of us, we always need more beds. We always need more treatment places. But the good news is that we, we, we've gotten it out of, the, out of the church, smoky church basements to where it's now front and center. 
we have problems with different um, different drugs that'll come and go. You know, we had crack cocaine and we had heroin uh, and then fentanyl. And I mean, it's just, and you know, and so many people will say, not almost everybody, just so many people will say, why do we keep throwing dollars at it when we can't cure it? Well, this problem has been around for thousands of years, literally. It's been there. It's always been there. Uh, you know, and so it's, <clears throat> we just have to help the people that need the help. You know, there always will be people who don't want it, don't need it, they say. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, so I think that's really a positive note of how much we have it out in the open now. We, one of the one of the biggest things I've worked on over the last years, and it was the same time I started with Faces and Voices. <laughs> and um, this goes back to the chaperone thing that I was talking about. And uh, I realized one of the things we need to do is start changing the language. The language that we use to talk to the general public, because our language was jargon in-house. And we were fine with it. We understood it when we were talking to each other. But when we're talking to the general public who know little or nothing about recovery, we want to help them use some different language. Um, and I guess one of the things I've, this is maybe a problem and a blessing at the same time, that more and more parents are coming to par to see how they can get help, that they're, they're starting to understand. And we still have that, um, still have that argument that goes on between do I do tough love or do I help? Well, perpetual question, right? <laughs> there's no answer. There's absolutely none. None. No. Nope. Each circumstance is different. Now we use that term enabling. Yeah, it's not a good idea to give somebody 500 bucks so they can pay their rent and cash and buy some food. How about just pay the rent for them and buy them some food? Right. Just some smarter thinking. Mm -hmm. So I know right now, um, and I know a lot of this had to do with COVID. We blame so much on COVID, but this is absolutely yeah. true. We all isolated so much. And isolation for anybody who has an addiction or has mental health issues, isolation is not something you can do. No. So with that isolation and everybody being flooded with fentanyl, mm -hmm. um, it, it's just, you know, it, we have to do so much more work, but we are getting there. Now, as I grew up, I am the old timer. I can say this now, 73 years old, I can use that phrase. When I grew up, if you, they talked about overdosing, it was generally because you took a lot of something, a whole lot. Mm -hmm. uh, back when I first heard about that, it was sleeping pills. 
Oh, right. You had to yeah. take a whole bottle of sleeping pills, mm-hmm. followed by a fifth of gin. Now yeah. a little dot of fentanyl can kill somebody in the very first try. Yeah. And that's the problem is so many people lose their life on their very first try, not realizing how how serious it is. Yeah. Or even when it slipped in with the fentanyl cases, I'm hearing lots of cases where fentanyl was added to something else and someone didn't know it was in there. And then I know something either tragic happens or they get addicted to the fentanyl, right? Like either way, it's not great. So for those not familiar with fentanyl um, who are listening, fentanyl is a very strong opiate. Uh, It's about the size of a grain of salt in some cases, maybe a little bit larger than that. So it's really small, easily fits into things and has a lot of different complications. So uh, Narcan nasocort or naloxonamine are really important um, more so than ever. And some of those fentanyl strips too, right? We've got um, right. strips that you can put into like drinks and things to make sure that fentanyl's not in something that it shouldn't be. So, and it's very, and it's very cheap to manufacture. It's synthetic. Yeah. Very cheap. Very yeah. cheap. It's very common right now. I heard meth in it together a lot right now. So yeah, because of the combined uppers, I guess. So yeah. It's so lot. I know that we, you know, we, we talk about Prevention, recovery, uh, prevention, treatment, recovery. Mm-hmm. Well, PAR works mostly on the recovery part. Mm-hmm. And we leave the um, the others, prevention and treatment, we leave it to those experts to do. We are not a treatment center. Yeah. And that's important to note, too. And, you know, I'm just thinking... How do you guys define recovery? I'm sure it's not a whole lot different than the way we do at MHA, but I'm curious what you. No, kind of it probably isn't. I don't is. have the definition in front of me, mm-hmm. but basically, it's being able to return to a lifestyle where you are able to do your very best without anything that holds you back. Okay, that's about the same as our mental health recovery concept. Yeah, there's a, there's a nice. There's a nice wordy definition from SAMHSA. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, our listeners have heard that, hopefully. If not, you yeah. all can go back to the recovery basics that we put on a couple of years ago. So, yeah, I've got the wordy one. I'm always curious when folks change it or shorten it, right? And, it was, I know. and, and making sure, because like you referred to some of those other groups, right? Recovery is only complete abstinence. And for some people, that's not the case. So um, I think it's interesting. And with a mental health recovery, right? It's not always a cure situation we're not always curing your illness it might be maintaining your best self as best you can be so yeah always fun to kind of flesh it out a little bit (laughs) you know and because you asked me how things have changed i think for both of us Mm -hmm. i think that's what's really changed yeah uh so much that we're we're breaking down some of that stigma and some of those barriers Mm -hmm. you know allowing people we're doing our best to allow people no, that's not the right word. We're giving them permission to ask for help. Right. Finally. Yeah, we're opening that door. It's not this shameful, terrible thing that it used to be. And it, there are places where in pockets where it is, I'm sure. But oh yeah, yeah. But trying to change that and and make places where folks can be comfortable is is really important. Yeah, and that's good prevention work too, right? If we know people are have addictions and are out there living their best life in recovery, like what better hey, we can get better kind of thing, right? So, Well, I had, a, I had a, just a, 
a perfect, I'll do this real short, a perfect experience flying back from Memphis. Mm -hmm. There was a person sitting next to me. And this happens frequently. You know, what do you do? Yada, yada. So I told him. And then all of a sudden he went into, well, you know, I don't have a problem with drinking. So I never said you did. <laughs> it wasn't, you know, we didn't even talk about it. He said, I only drink on the weekends. I don't drink in the morning. And it led on and on and on about an hour into the conversation. The beautiful part about it was he said, do you have a card with you? So I gave him a card. So hopefully I planted the seed. And you'll understand it's not when you do, how much you do. It's what happens to you when you do. Right. So maybe that, maybe, you know, I always look at that. Uh, my wife is also in recovery and also is a counselor is a, not also is a counselor. And we always know that if we go someplace that is not necessarily recovery related, a recovery event, uh, like, like a high school reunion I went to, um, if we mention what we do, it's always nearly 99.99% of the time. You know, I have a brother, a sister, an aunt, an uncle, a son, a daughter, and then they'll find somebody to open up to. So our job is just to give them hope. So there is there is hope out there. There's help. As my phrase is, there's help, hope, and healing. That's awesome. And so true. And yes, once you tell someone you're in anything related to mental health, everybody's got somebody they know. Yeah. And, they, and whether they're talking positively or negatively about that doesn't yeah. really matter. It's like, you do realize everyone is that way. So yeah, we can never turn it off quite if we answer honestly, can we, Mike? No, not at all. But that's okay. It's part of what we sign up for. It's why you got to be passionate in this work, right? So um, are there any goals you have for 2023, like the General Assembly, or just in general over the next couple of years, you think Kentucky should really be looking at as far as recovery? You know, I, like I said, I am retiring in a couple of weeks, redirecting energy. Right. Tara Mosley is going to be the new CEO of People Advocating Recovery. Tara was formerly with YPR, Young People in Recovery. And I've mentored her for about five years. Uh, she has a ton of energy and a ton of passion. So I'm kind of leaving it to her, not kind of. I am leaving it to her to take the organization to its next level. And uh, I don't want it to be what I want it to be. I want it to be what she and everybody else wants it to be. Yeah. So I hope that we continue doing the same thing, but we continue adding things. And I don't oh, know what's around the corner. Uh, I'm just glad to see that we, and I, I include you in this, that we now have the ability to talk about mental health and substance use disorder in the open without whispering it anymore and you no know, matter what tv show or whatever we do i don't mind bringing it up anymore and it, you know that's 
that's probably the biggest thing we've done. But and I, like I said, I include mental health that we've done, and uh, I want to see it continue more and more. To um, I know I do have one goal. I do have one. I uh, I think this is very important. We need to educate doctors much better so that they understand. I have spoken to more than one MD who has had zero training on addiction. And they, they want to understand. I mean, they want to know, but they don't know. So we have to do a much better job of having that incorporated. Uh, I wouldn't mind seeing, um, uh, you know, so you're giving me ideas now. <laughs> well, they don't have I, to be PAR ideas. They can just yeah, be all of us collectively, I, you know, I, right? I wouldn't mind seeing um, <laughs> universities start offering a course on substance use disorder, mental health issues. I think that, you know, that's a great idea. I think we, Maybe we need to go to U of L and say, hey, we got an idea for you here. <laughs> we know where he's going to redirect his energy now, folks. Yeah. <laughs> well, that is a great idea. I'd take that class. It's been a while. I'm a little rusty. So, you know. Yeah, me too. <laughs> it's always good to hear from new voices too on that space. So, but it's good to have our older ones too. Don't, not to dismiss that. <laughs> new voices in the, in the college is what I was thinking of, you know? Um, do you have any advice to someone who might be listening, who needs to access recovery services for themselves or someone else? I know you listed a bunch of resources earlier. I'm happy to share, but didn't know if there's some other best practices you want us to make sure we mention or best. Places. I'm going to give you a website and I'm, while you're, uh, I'm going to look it up here real quick. Cause I can't remember. I don't want to get it wrong. It's a great resource. Okay. Here it is. It's find help now ky.org find help now ky.org mm -hmm. if you if you want to know what to do you have a question uh this is a um a website that the state has put together and it will help you find addiction treatment openings beds uh, you can get a mental health diagnosis, uh, help through there uh, to a call center. You can get somebody to speak to, uh, some screening. If you're uh, in that suicide mode, you can get some help there. So there's a lot. It's it's a great website and a great. It's it's probably one of the best resources around. I think they've done. Uh, just an excellent job of putting that together, and it's great. Glad to hear you say it because that's our primary resource on our on our website as well. So <laughs> I'm always curious, though, what the experts yeah. around are saying, right? So yeah, yeah, it's always good. It is a good website. I really appreciate that they have our screenings on there as well. So yeah, because mental health and substance use for so long, we didn't talk about them as a single combination that can happen, right? And I feel like even if we're not talking about mental illness, mental health and wellness is part of why people enter addiction. Is that fair to say? Correct. Still? And, and for too long, we, you know, we had that little fight going between the organizations <laughs> because I think what we did is on, on my side, 
we called it mental illness instead of mental health. And so the argument was, if you don't take care of the mental illness, you can't take care of the substance abuse. Well, you got to take care of the substance abuse before you can tackle the mental health issues. And we were just going full circle. So I think when you all helped us start talking about mental health instead of mental illness, that it started to make more sense. Because obviously, if I'm using alcohol, I talk about alcohol. If I'm using alcohol to, I don't want to even say the extreme, but if I'm altering my thinking, then yes, my mental health is going to be affected because I'm not thinking rationally. Right. You know, I'm not thinking that, oh, just because I had five drinks doesn't mean I can't drive well. I can drive just fine. And that's another one of those cliches we joke about all the time. People will say, yeah, well, I drive better when I'm drunk. <laughs> oh, yeah. You used to hear that all the time. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> it's always a sign, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, and you're right. And that mental health aspect, right? Why are you drinking in the first place, right? Are you feeling isolated and worried and yeah. such like that? I would say that's probably a large part of the reason some people start along the path would be my guess, but I don't know that we have solid research on that yet. So it's just a guess. <laughs> I've been around a lot yep. of people who are in recovery as well from many different things. So <laughs> but yeah, Mike, it's been awesome to talk to you today. Um, do you have any advice or any last words, anything you want to make sure you put onto the podcast? Cause I'm happy to, to fill in. Visit our website, peopleadvocatingrecovery.org and uh, join the email list. I will guarantee you there is no spam. We do not sell your email. It's just us. At this point, it's just been me doing the newsletter <laughs> and I'll probably continue to do it. Uh, lots of great blogs from people across the country that I know uh, who are in long-term recovery. Some of them are professional, some are not. It depends on, I always have a problem defining that word professional. They're professional in recovery. Right. <laughs> They're a recovery uh, professional, whether or not yeah. they have other letters behind their name or not, right? Yeah, so visit the website and get uh, information there. Uh, all kinds of ways to connect. Uh, for those of you who are in Louisville or even our surrounding area, the uh, Louisville Recovery Community Connection. It's an RCO, Recovery Community Organization. Uh, we have a website for that too. There's a link from the PAR site. But it's a, it's a place downtown on uh, 3rd Street where uh, people can drop in. It's like a drop-in center and host a bunch of different types of classes, meetings. If you're feeling lonely, you can go down, sit down, talk to somebody. Um, it's awesome. open to everybody, not just those in recovery. We don't care. Just come on in and take care of yourself. In other words, when I need somewhere to go in Louisville, I'll drop in, <laughs> hang out gotcha. around there. Yeah. Make a pest of myself, right? <laughs> Please. <laughs> we love pests. Well, thank you so much again. This has been Mike Barry from People Advocating Recovery, giving us a glimpse into the amazing world of substance use recovery, specifically his own history, but as well as how cool it was to um, be a part of so much recovery activity. 
in Kentucky. And thank you all. Thank you again, Mike. And y'all uh, take care of yourselves. Thank you. <laughs> Mental health is physical health. Make sure that you're taking care of yours. Thank you for listening, folks.